Hello, everybody, and welcome into this episode number 53 of the Bible Reading Podcast. Today's big Bible question, were women part of Jesus's team? Now, today's Bible readings feature some high drama as Moses and Pharaoh have their first showdown in Exodus chapter 5. And you know what? If we're being fair, I think we have to give Pharaoh the win for round one. But this struggle will go on for several rounds, so stay tuned. Job chapter 22 features some comforting and wise words from Job's awesome friends. Actually, no, that was total sarcasm. Job's dumb friend Eliphaz actually asks Job this gem of a question. Isn't your wickedness abundant, and aren't your iniquities endless? That's kind of an insensitive and horrible question to ask somebody who is going through terrible tragedy, heartbreak, and depression. Once again, hashtag don't be like Job's friends. Finally, in 1 Corinthians 9, Paul opens up and talks about his role as a minister of the gospel and an apostle. And he lays down the principle, don't muzzle the ox, while he is treading and out grain, which is not really a principle for oxen, but for people. Our focus passage for today is Luke chapter 8, and our big Bible question comes right out in the very first few verses. So let's go to Luke 8 first, read it, and then come back and discuss the women who actually took care of Jesus. Luke chapter 8, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. Afterward, he was traveling from one town and village to another, preaching and telling the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. Mary called Magdalene, seven demons had come out of her, Joanna, the wife of Chudza, Herod's steward, Susanna, and many others who were supporting them from their possessions. As a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from every town, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. As he sowed, some seed fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds of the sky devoured it. Other seed fell on the rock. When it grew up, it withered away since it lacked moisture. Other seed fell among thorns. The thorns grew up with it and choked it. Still other seed fell on good ground. When it grew up, it produced fruit a hundred times what was sown. As he said this, he called out, Let anyone who has ears to hear listen. His disciples asked him, uh, What does this parable mean? So he said, The secrets of the kingdom of God have been given for you to know, but to the rest it is in parables, so that... Looking they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. The seed along the path are those who have heard, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. And the seed on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. Having no root, these believe for a while and fall away in a time of testing. As for the seed that fell among thorns, these are the ones who, when they have heard, go on their way and are choked with worries, riches, and pleasures of life, and they produce no mature fruit. But the seed in the good ground, these are the ones who, having heard the word with an honest and good heart, hold on to it, and by enduring, produce fruit. 
No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a basket or puts it under a bed. He puts it on a lampstand so that those who come in may see its light. For nothing is concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known and brought to light. Therefore, take care how you listen. For whoever has, more will be given to him, and whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has will be taken away from him. Then his mother and brothers came to him, but they could not meet with him because of the crowd. He was told, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. But he replied to them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear and do the word of God. One day he and his disciples got into a boat, and he told them, Let's cross over to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they were sailing, he fell asleep. Then a fierce windstorm came down on the lake, and they were being swamped and were in danger. They came and woke him up, saying, Master, Master, we're going to die. Then he got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, so they ceased, and there was a calm. He said to them, Where is your faith? They were fearful and amazed and asked one another, Who then is this? He commands even the winds and the waves, and they obey him. Then they sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When he got out on land, a demon-possessed man from the town met him. For a long time he had worn no clothes and did not stay in a house but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out, fell down before him, and said in a loud voice, What do you have to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was guarded, bound by chains and shackles, he would snap the restraints and be driven by the demon into deserted places. What is your name? Jesus asked him. Legion, he said, because many demons had entered him, and they begged him not to banish them to the abyss. A large herd of pigs was there, feeding on the hillside. The demons begged him to permit them to enter the pigs, and he gave them permission. The demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the men who tended them saw what happened, they ran off and reported it in the town and in the countryside. Then people went out to see what had happened. They came to Jesus and found the man the demons had departed from sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Meanwhile, the eyewitnesses reported to them how the demon-possessed man was delivered. Then all the people of the Gerasene region asked him to leave them because they were gripped by great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had departed begged him earnestly to be with him, but he sent him away and said, Go back to your home and tell all that God has done for you. And off he went, proclaiming throughout the town how much Jesus had done for him. When Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Just then a man named Jairus came. He was the leader of the synagogue. He fell down at Jesus' feet and pleaded with him to come to his house because he had an only daughter about 12 years old and she was dying. While he was going, the crowds were nearly crushing him. A woman suffering from bleeding for twelve years who had spent all she had on doctors and yet could not be healed by any approached from behind and touched the end of his robe. Instantly, her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. 
When they all denied it, Peter said, "Uh, Master, the crowds are hemming you in and pressing all against you. Someone did touch me, said Jesus. I know that power has gone out from me. When the woman saw that she was discovered, she came trembling and fell down before him in the presence of all the people. She declared the reason she had touched him and how she was instantly healed. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone came from the synagogue leader's house and said, Your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher any more. When Jesus heard it, he answered him, Don't be afraid. Only believe, and she will be saved. After he came to the house, he let no one enter in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Everyone was crying and mourning for her, but he said, Stop crying, because she is not dead but asleep. They laughed at him, because they knew she was dead. So he took her by the hand and called out, Child, get up. Talitha Kume. Her spirit returned, and she got up at once. Then he gave orders that she be given something to eat. Her parents were astounded, but he instructed them to tell no one what had happened. So there is so many things we could talk about in Luke chapter 8. So much meat there. So many things. I mean, why cast demons into pigs? Do demon-possessed people have supernatural strength? Lots and lots of questions. But today's question is, I think, more practical than that and, and is very fundamentally important. If you ask most church people the question, who all traveled with Jesus, I suspect the most common answer would be something that included Jesus and his 12 disciples and really pretty much nobody else. Interestingly, that doesn't appear to be the correct answer to the question, or at least not all of the time, because we find this fascinating paragraph leading off Luke chapter 8. Afterward, as he was traveling from one town and village to another, preaching and telling the good news of the kingdom of God, the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. Mary called Magdalene, Joanna, the wife of Chutza, Herod's steward, Susanna, and many others who were supporting them from their possessions. By and large, the twelve disciples get all of the press. Well, I guess that's true, except for, you know, Jude or Jude slash Thaddeus, Nathaniel, Simon the Zealot, the second James, James the son of Alphaeus, and Philip the disciple. We don't hear much about those guys, but Luke reveals to us something here in chapter 8 really, really important. The practical and financial needs of Jesus and his 12 disciples were met by this apparently large group of women that traveled with them. Now, we don't know for sure that these women were always with Jesus, but they obviously were for this long village-to-village stretch described by Luke here, and it's probably not a stretch to believe that they accompanied Jesus and the disciples on many missions, especially considering they were there at his crucifixion, and they were the first on the scene at his resurrection, and they were the first on the scene at his burial, too. So... These ladies turn up a lot, and they're doing things. I've been a pastor for a long time, 
And I can tell you that people who voluntarily give of their resources to meet the physical and financial needs of ministry are hugely important in the life of every ministry and every church. No, the kingdom of God is not built on money. But there are many needs that need to be met, and the way that God has ordained those needs to be met is through the sacrificial giving of the people of God. And at least, according to Luke, the primary financial support of the Jesus team was this group of ladies. I I could be wrong, and email me or comment on the BibleReadingPodcast.com page if I am wrong, but I don't know of any other passage that indicates other people funded the ministry of Jesus, though of course I'm sure some other people did. But what this means is that women were crucial to the first century ministry of Jesus, and of course they are crucial to the 20th century ministry of Jesus. Theologically, I myself am what is known as a complementarian. That's a discussion we will be having in some upcoming passages of Scripture. It doesn't mean that I like to compliment people or whatever, although I guess I do. It means something different. But I will say this, as a complementarian, any man or person who doesn't realize the massive contribution and importance of women in the body of Christ is a dull and silly person. In honor of such, I'd like to briefly highlight five important but lesser known women in the New Testament. I think it's fair to say that most of them are unsung heroes of the Word of God. Fortunately for all of you, I have not written a song about a single one of them, so they will remain unsung, at least by me, which is good for you, trust me. But I do want to point them out and recognize their contributions to the Great Commission and the ministry of Jesus. So, number one, Phoebe. We hear about her in Romans chapter 16. Phoebe was a diaconos of the church in Centuria, and since that word can be translated as minister or servant or deacon, there has been a long debate through the years over whether or not Phoebe was the church officer or a church officer called a deacon. We won't enter that debate today. One day we will, but she is obviously remarkably important to the body of Christ. She is the first one that Paul shouts out at the end of Romans, and I think that's actually significant, and he orders the Roman church to assist her and take care of her. Paul also points out that Phoebe has supported many in the ministry, Paul included. And sort of the way Romans 16 is worded, it appears that Paul has maybe sent Phoebe on a mission, or she's on a mission, and they're telling, Paul is telling the Roman church to take care of her and support her and honor her and send her off. And some people speculate that Paul had sent Phoebe ahead of him to Spain to prepare the way for the gospel to go into Spain. That's a fascinating theory. No proof of it in the Bible, uh, but it's interesting. My wife and I named our fifth child our fourth daughter, Phoebe, in honor of this Phoebe in the Bible. To my knowledge, Phoebe is the youngest listener to this podcast and the single most faithful Thompson family listener. So shout out to you, young Phoebe. Daddy loves you very much. Another passage that tells us about Phoebe in the Bible is Romans 16, 1 through 3. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church in Centuria. So you should welcome her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever manner she may require your help. 
For indeed, she has been a benefactor of many and of me also. Unsung female of the Bible number two, Chloe. We read about her in 1 Corinthians 11. Speaking of women in the Bible that we named our daughters after, Chloe was a prominent figure in the early church and also the name of uh, my wife and I's firstborn daughter. We don't know much about the Chloe in the Bible, but it appears from the passage below that she was very concerned about the issue of unity in the early church, and she alerted Paul to it, probably in the hopes that he would be used to help restore unity in the church. So Paul writes this about her in 1 Corinthians 11.10, I urge you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree in what you say, that there may be no divisions among you, and that you may be united with the same understanding and the same conviction. For it has been reported to me about you, my brothers, by members of Chloe's household, that there is rivalry among you. Again, that's 1 Corinthians 11, 10 and 11. Unsung hero number three, Nympha, Colossians 4. Now, we don't know a lot about Nympha, but she was obviously a Colossae homeowner, and she was prominent enough in the early church that a church group, a church, actually met in her home. Colossians 4, verse 5 says, Paul says, Give my greetings to the brothers in Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her home. Number four, this is one of my favorites, Anna the prophetess. I suppose if I asked a group of biblical scholars who was chronologically the first person named as a prophet or prophetess in the New Testament, most of them would not get the correct answer, which is Anna. Yes, Zechariah prophesied before Anna in Luke, but the Bible does not identify him as a prophet. The Bible does identify Anna as a prophetess. But the most remarkable thing about Anna was not that she was a prophetess. The most remarkable, amazing thing is she served God at the temple in Jerusalem for fourscore and four years, that's 84 in modern talk, without leaving fasting and praying and seeking God for 84 years on a daily basis. That is utterly incredible. What a mighty woman of God. And Luke chapter 2 tells us about her. Verse 36, there was also a prophetess, Anna, a daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was well along in years, which is a nice way of saying old, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and was a widow for 84 years. She did not leave the temple complex, serving God night and day with fasting and prayers. At that very moment, she came up and began to thank God and to speak about Jesus to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Number five, I just kind of had to put a bunch of people together for this one. How about Mary, the mother of John Mark? She was probably a widow, and the church met at her house to pray in Acts chapter 16 for the release of Peter from jail. Maybe Lois and Eunice, the mom and grandmom of Timothy, godly women who taught him the word and discipled and raised him. Or Lydia, a wonderfully hospitable woman that was saved through the ministry of Paul and immediately turned around and invited him and his team to stay at her house. Tryphena and Tryphosa, servants of the gospel mentioned in Romans 16. 
Mary, a different Mary. Yes, there's a lot of Marys out there in the Bible. This one worked very hard for the church at Rome and is mentioned in Romans 16.5. Damaris, one of the first converts to Christianity in all of the West and in Athens and in Greece. Aphia, the only woman to have a book of the Bible co-written to her. That'll win you a trivia game at some point. The book of Philemon was written to Philemon and Aphia. Julia, Junia, Claudia, and Narius' sister, we don't have her name, but all saints mentioned by Paul in some of his letters. All of these women had crucial and important roles in the early church. Praise God for our dear sisters in the faith. Now, some of you are saying, wait a minute, you left out, I don't know, Mary of Bethany, or Mary, the mother of Jesus, or Priscilla, or some of the other well-known Marys in the Bible. Well, no, I wanted to go after the unsung ones in the Bible. So some of the major ones I did, I didn't skip over, but we were after the ones that were a little bit lesser known. One of these days, we might have an episode, speaking of all of the Marys of the Bible, about whether or not Mary of Bethany and Mary Magdalene are the same person. But today is not that day. Allow me to close this part with uh, uh, this discussion of the big role that women played in the New Testament with a passage that demonstrates that in spades. This is Luke chapter 23 and 24, just a portion of it, and pay attention to how important this large group of women were around the burial and resurrection of Jesus, and pay attention to the fact that they were the first witnesses of his resurrection. Luke chapter 23, verse 55, the women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed along and observed the tomb and how his body was placed. Then they returned and prepared spices and perfumes, and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. They went in, but did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men stood by them in dazzling clothes. So the women were terrified and bowed to the ground. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? asked the men. He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, It is necessary that the Son of Man be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and rise on the third day. And they remembered his words. Returning from the tomb, they reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them were telling the apostles these things. Lots of women there. Verse 11, But these words seemed like nonsense to them, and they did not believe the women. Tisk tisk Men, right? Verse 12, Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. When he stooped to look in, he saw only the linen clothes. So he went away amazed at what had happened. So, were women an important part of Jesus' team? You betcha. They were the first witnesses to his resurrection. They were witnesses to his crucifixion. They were witnesses to his burial. And they literally financially provided for the Jesus mission out of their own funds. Praise God for them. Exodus chapter 5 verse 1. 
Later, Moses and Aaron went in and said to Pharaoh, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go so that they may hold a festival for me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh responded, Who is the Lord that I should obey him by letting Israel go? I don't know the Lord, and besides, I will not let Israel go. They answered, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go on a three-day trip into the wilderness so that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, or else he may strike us with plague or sword. The king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why are you causing the people to neglect their work? Get to your labor. Pharaoh also said, Look, the people of the land are so numerous, and you would stop them from their labor. That day Pharaoh commanded the overseers of the people as well as their foremen, Don't continue to supply the people with straw for making bricks as before. They must go and gather straw for themselves, but require the same quota of bricks from them as they were making before. Do not reduce it, for they are slackers. That is why they are crying out, Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Impose heavier work on the men. Then they will be occupied with it and not pay attention to deceptive words. So the overseers and the foremen of the people went out and said to them, This is what Pharaoh says, I'm not giving you straw. Go get straw yourselves wherever you can find it, but there will be no reduction at all in your workload. So the people scattered throughout the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The overseers insisted, Finish your assigned work each day, just as you did when the straw was provided. Then the Israelite foremen, whom Pharaoh's slave drivers had set over the people, were beaten and asked, Why haven't you finished making your prescribed number of bricks yesterday or today as you did before? So the Israelite foreman went in and cried for help to Pharaoh. Why are you treating your servants this way? No straw has been given to your servants, yet they say to us, make bricks. Look, your servants are being beaten, but it is your own people who are at fault. But he said, you are slackers, slackers. That is why you are saying, let us go sacrifice to the Lord. Now get to work. No straw will be given to you, but you must produce the same quantity of bricks. The Israelite foremen saw that they were in trouble when they were told, you cannot reduce your daily quota of bricks. When they left Pharaoh, they confronted Moses and Aaron, who stood waiting to meet them. May the Lord take note of you and judge, they said to them. Because you have made us reek to Pharaoh and his officials, putting a sword in their hand to kill us. So Moses went back to the Lord and asked, Lord, why have you caused trouble for this people? And why did you ever send me? Ever since I went into Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has caused trouble for this people. And you haven't rescued your people at all. Job chapter 22 verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. Then Eliphaz the Temanite replied, Can a man be of any use to God? Can even a wise man be of use to him? Does it delight the Almighty if you are righteous? Does he profit if you 
affect your behavior? Does he correct you and take you to court because of your piety? Isn't your wickedness abundant, and aren't your iniquities endless? For you took collateral from your brothers without cause, stripping off their clothes and leaving them naked. You gave no water to the thirsty. You withheld food from the famished, while the land belonged to a powerful man and an influential man lived in it. You sent widows away empty-handed, and the strength of the fatherless was crushed. Therefore snares surround you, and sudden death dread terrifies you, or darkness so you cannot see, and a flood of water covers you. Isn't God as high as the heavens? And look at the highest stars, how lofty they are. Yet you say, what does God know? Can he judge through total darkness? Clouds veil him so that he cannot see as he walks on the circle of the sky. Will you continue on the ancient path that wicked men have walked? They were snatched away before their time, and their foundations were washed away by a river. They were the ones who said to God, Leave us alone, and what can the Almighty do to us? But it was he who filled their houses with good things. The counsel of wicked is far from me. The righteous see this and rejoice. The innocent mock them, saying, Surely our opponents are destroyed, and fire has consumed what they left behind. Come to terms with God and be at peace. In this way good will come to you. Receive instruction from his mouth and place his sayings in your heart. If you return to the Almighty, you will be renewed. If you banish injustice from your tent and consign your gold to the dust, the gold of Ophir to the stones in the wadis, the Almighty will be your gold, and your finest silver. Then you will delight in the Almighty, and you will lift your face up to God. You will pray to Him, and He will hear you, and you will fulfill your vows. When you make a decision, it will be carried out, and light will shine on your ways. When others are humiliated, and you say, Lift them up, God will save the humble. He will even rescue the guilty one who will be rescued by the purity of your hands. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1 Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If I am not an apostle to others, at least I am to you, because you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. My defense to those who examine me is this. Don't we have the right to eat and drink? Don't we have the right to be accompanied by a believing wife like the other apostles, the Lord's brothers and Cephas? Or do only Barnabas and I have no right to refrain from working? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its fruit? Or who shepherds a flock and does not drink the milk from the flock? Am I saying this from a human perspective? Doesn't the law also say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, Do not muzzle an ox while it treads out grain. Is God really concerned about oxen? Isn't he really saying it for our sake? Yes, this was written for our sake, because he who plows ought to plow in hope, and he who threshes should thresh in hope of sharing the crop. If we've sown spiritual things for you, is it too much if we reap material benefits from you? If others have this right to receive benefits from you, don't we have even more? Nevertheless, 
We have not made use of this right. Instead, we endure everything so that we will not hinder the gospel of Christ. Don't you know that those who perform the temple services eat the food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the offerings of the altar? In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should earn their living by the gospel. For my part, I have used none of these rights, nor have I written these things that they may be applied in my case. For it would be better for me to die than for anyone to deprive me of my boast. For if I preach the gospel, I have no reason to boast, because I am compelled to preach, and woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if unwillingly, I am entrusted with a commission. What then is my reward? To preach the gospel and offer it free of charge and not make full use of my rights in the gospel. Although I am free from all and not anyone's slave, I have made myself a slave to everyone in order to win more people. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law to win those under the law, to those who are without the law, like one without the law, though I am not without God's law, but under the law of Christ, to win those without the law, to the weak I became weak in order to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that I may by every possible means save some. Now I do all of this because of the gospel, so that I may share in the blessings. Don't you know that the runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way to receive the prize. Now everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. They do it to receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. So I do not run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one beating the air. Instead, I discipline my broad body and bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Well, brothers and sisters, I hope the word of God was encouraging and edifying to you today. In fact, I'm confident it was because the word of God is powerful and it will not return to God without fruit. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Godspeed to you.